Welcome to the Get Out of Your Own Damn Way podcast, hosted by Creelan Peters, the fear whisperer of Creelan.com. Listen in as Creelan interviews powerful people who have tamed their fears, embraced their greatness, and gotten out of their own damn way. And now, Creelan Peters. Welcome to the Get Out of Your Own Damn Way podcast. I'm your host, Creelan Peters, the fear whisperer. Today, I welcome to the show Dr. Glenn Livingston. I'm so excited. And before I bring him on the line, let me just tell you a little bit more about him. Dr. Livingston is a veteran psychologist and longtime CEO of a multi-million dollar consulting firm, which has serviced several Fortune 500 clients in the food industry. Dr. Glenn's work, theories, and research have been published in major periodicals. Disillusioned by what traditional psychology had to offer the overweight and or food-obsessed male, Dr. Livingston spent several decades researching the nature of binging and overeating via work with his own patients and a self-funded research program with more than 40,000 participants. Most important, however, was his own personal journey out of obesity and food prison to a normal, healthy weight and a much more lighthearted relationship with food. So welcome, Glenn, to the show. Oh, I'm very excited to be here. Thank you, Creelan. Yes, I, and I'm so excited. We were just talking pre-show. I, I like to sometimes tell my guests how we met, and we were kind of introduced. Um, so, And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is so cool. <laughs> so I love that the word is spreading and that, that people are wanting to get out of their own damn way and spread their message to others to help. So I'm so excited to have you today. Well, I, you know, I was actually listening to some of your podcasts and reviewing your site, and I think that we have a um, – fairly simpatico message, so I was excited to do this, too. Wonderful. And and I would love to just, like, dive in and start and just kind of have you share more of your story and how you've learned to get out of your own damn way. Well, you know, I am I'm a psychologist by training, and mm-hmm. I grew up in a family of 17 psychologists and therapists and social workers and psychiatrists and counselors, and, and um, I always tell people you really don't want to be at my family reunion because <laughs> nobody agrees. <laughs> um, and so I always looked at the world from a very, through a very psychological lens, and I thought that every problem had a psychological solution, meaning mm-hmm. that you could take any situation, particularly with food, like you know, let's say you were over-involved with chocolate or bagels or something like that, and it must have a psychological root. There must mm-hmm. be, um, and it turns out that that actually made trouble for me. Mm-hmm. And th- this is something surprising that most people don't expect a psychologist to say, but while, while I discovered through all the, I'll say a little bit more about the pain that I went through, but what I discovered through all the research that I did and working with all the clients was that there's a relationship between psychology and food. So, mm-hmm. for example, people who are um, people who have trouble with chocolate tend to gravitate towards it when they're feeling unloved, mm-hmm. people who or, or lonely, people who gravitate towards um, gravitate towards starchy foods. They tend to do that when they're feeling very stressed. People who gravitate towards fatty, salty potato chips and things like that. They tend to do that when they're feeling anxious. But the natural conclusion most people draw from that 
is that, and so that's all true, but the natural conclusion most people draw from that is that you need to figure out what's making you lonely. You need to figure out what's making you anxious. You need to figure out what's stressing you out in order to stop overeating those things. Mm-hmm. And that conclusion, it turns out, it really isn't true. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the more that I tried to figure it out, the more, more I went into that, it was almost like there's a, there, there was a voice inside of me that said, oh, goody, it's going to take us years to figure that out, and we can eat as much chocolate as we want to until then. <laughs> Well, isn't that, of course. I mean, that's a natural conclusion, right? <laughs> <laughs> Perfectly natural conclusion, right? Um, and so I spent literally decades, literally decades suffering with um, what you would now call a an exercise bulimia. Um, that's someone who doesn't purge but exercises an awful lot so they can eat as much as they possibly can. And I was... Mm-hmm very capable of dislodging my jaw and emptying the delicatessen into it. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, to, to the extent that I, I, when I was younger, I had the time to do enough exercise that I could really eat whatever I want to when I was thin. I didn't have any real health problems. But after after I got married and started seeing patients and had real responsibilities, I didn't have the time to exercise that much. And I didn't, frankly, want to exercise as much as I used to. Because mm-hmm. I was more interested in pursuing other areas of life, and, and um, but I, I found that I it was very difficult to stop the overeating. And I sometimes I would be sitting with patients, and I couldn't stop thinking about when could I get a whole pizza, or when could I run out and get a bag of potato chips, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was a serious problem, and I, I felt like it was unethical for me to be so obsessed with food when I was trying to be present in life for my patients and my wife and and um it was an extremely painful journey an extremely painful journey mm-hmm. and and so it it turns out kind of in a nutshell that um i i, I suppose the way Creelan, that it synergizes with your message is that I, I think in our culture there's a voice of fear that tells us that we're powerless over our impulses. Mm-hmm. The, the, the way most the way most addiction is treated, um, you know, that you're supposed to accept that you're powerless and just do it one day at a time. And it, it's almost heresy to say, I'll never have a bar of chocolate again. Like if I'm addicted to chocolate, then I supposedly I can't do that. But when I really dug into that, I, I discovered there's not really any evidence for that. And we don't really have to listen to that voice of fear. Just like in so many other areas of our lives, we don't really have to listen to that negative voice. And it was equally as true in food addiction as it was anywhere else. And so this is going to sound a little crazy, someone with my level of education and experience um, and, you know, and success in other areas. But the thing that worked for me was I, I decided that there was a pig inside me. And, I, you know, pig was that negative voice that said, you're going to eat chocolate and you can't, you can't stop and you've never stopped before, so you can't do it in the future. And, I decided that um, all I needed to do was draw a very clear line in the sand. And, um, you know, for example, I'm never going to have chocolate again or I'm never going to have chocolate on, on weekdays again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I just say that so people know you don't have to make it so extreme. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then if, if I heard any little voice in my head that said I was going to eat chocolate, I would say, 
well, that's just the pig talking to me. The pig is squealing. It wants its pig slop, and I don't eat pig slop. And I don't listen to farm animals. And it, it was, I mean, <laughs> that was it. That, that's what I did, and it, it made all the difference in the world. I'd, I'd read about that. I'd read about a similar approach in drugs and alcohol. That's where I got the idea from a guy named Jack Trimpey. But but you need some modifications to really work with food. Um, and that's how I overcame it. Um, it was not instantaneous. It was it, it was miraculous, but it wasn't instantaneous. I did make some mistakes as I went along, and I, there was a learning process. But, um, you know, I dropped 60 pounds, and my triglycerides came down, and I cured my psoriasis and rosacea, and, um, you know, it all... It all it all kind of came together from that silly little insight, and from there I've been trying to spread the word. So that's that's a very brief synopsis of my story. Oh, I'm sure it's very brief, but oh my gosh, I mean, what an insight and and a way to to kind of um, take it outside of you because I know that a lot of us were so so hard on ourselves, and um, and we can really listen to those voices and it really compounds the problem you know it's like this vicious cycle of i must be a horrible person because i can't put the chocolate down but if you you're what you're doing is you're kind of um having this this separation and allowing us to and you know and and that's certainly has um implications for other things as well but it's it takes it outside of us so that we're not just continuously blaming ourselves um, for not being able to do something or for doing something. Right. It it um and it really mirrors the different layers of the brain that there are. Like if you think about our evolution, there there's this lizard brain that mm-hmm. it, it basically operates on a if it sees something, should I should I meet with it, should I eat it or should I kill it? It's a very mm-hmm. primitive and quick reaction. And then there's a mammalian brain that um, looks to connect to connect to others and form a tribe, and that's that's where feelings of like, love and empathy and connection come from. And then there's this like higher brain, the neocortex, which can set goals and delay gratification and inhibit that other aspect of ourselves. But we all have to live with all three brains, and what. What I think that this technique does is it puts you into your higher brain and it makes you very aware of the the um, derogatory nature of the lower brain. So if, if you make a mistake and it says you're never going to be able to do this again, it makes you aware that that criticism actually has a destructive purpose behind it. The reason that the lizard brain is criticizing you like that is so that it'll have another chance to binge. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of cuts through all the garbage, and it does it in a very simple way at the moment of impulse when you don't really have the ability to think so clearly. Um, and, and you can you can let go of it in that way. So, yeah, it's it's um it's it's been exceptional for me. Well, that's great, and you know, and I would imagine, like you said, that was the short version of the story, and that it was uh, it was you said miraculous, but not instantaneous, <laughs> which. I think is true of all lasting change <laughs> that we, you know, there's sometimes some, some, a few steps back before we make the, the gigantic leaps forward and, and it is all part of a process and doesn't just happen overnight. Well, what, one of the reasons that was true 
was because I got enamored with the power too quickly. And I, I realized that I could eliminate virtually any food or behavior from my diet. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of went to town trying to eliminate everything. And the problem is that when you eliminate all those things, you're not really left with enough. And you have to learn. It's almost like you have to learn how to eat all over again. And so there was a corresponding learning curve where I was reading a lot more about nutrition and trying to figure out, um, you know, how – here's what I think really happens. I, I don't think we would have to have this conversation if we all lived on the savannah because there weren't any chocolate bars in the savannah and there weren't any bagels <laughs> on the savannah. And so I think that industry plays a large mm-hmm. role in, in corrupting our survival drives. And you know, so we there's there are billions of dollars that go into engineering foods that can push those evolutionary buttons and make us feel like we need them or we will die. Mm-hmm. And and what what happens is when you try to eliminate those foods, you need to redirect that survival drive towards what it was intended for in the first place. So. For example, if you are, if a, if a smoker, um, wants to stop smoking, one of the best things that they can do is not only to stop smoking, but to go outside in the woods and take three or five deep breaths and really experience, right? They, they need to experience nature the way that nature was intended and they need to redirect that survival drive towards, um, what it, what it evolved to, to intake. And similarly, when you stop having chocolate, there's an authentic need behind that. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I tell people, you're going to think this is crazy, but behind your craving for chocolate is a craving for leafy greens or fruit or, Mm -hmm. you know, some other. And and you have to figure out what that is for you and start to replace it um, so that you're actually quieting the survivor apparatus in your... um, in your body, and it's one of the ways that getting over a food problem is different than getting over drugs or alcohol. Is that there? There really is a tremendous authentic need underneath the um, underneath the addiction. So, right, I, I and that's I, how we got there. Yeah, no, I love you. You brought that up because a lot of people just want to eliminate a behavior without replacing it because they don't understand that concept of that it, it is fulfilling a need. And so if we take that away, it's just like, um, you know, when I used to work with um, people who used to cut themselves, um, and you may be familiar with that scenario, is is we don't just tell people to stop because it's serving a purpose. It's fulfilling a need. It's a coping skill, um, just like smoking and, and, and eating like you're talking about and other types of addictions. So we need, I mean, there is some psychological basis in there, but there's also that ability to, like you said, use that higher brain and um, kind of cut off that impulse at the past. What, what would you help them to do? How, how would they find a um, how would they find a natural substitute instead of cutting themselves? Um, well, you know, instead of cutting themselves, we would you know talk about um, 
other ways to help them release that pain. So it's really kind of self-exploration or, or helping them with self-exploration and figuring out, I'm a songwriter, so that's, you know, one of the ways that kids who liked to um, express themselves creatively is we would work on other ways for them to express themselves rather than um, bleeding. That makes perfect sense. I love that. Mm-hmm. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. And yeah, no, it yeah. just it sounds very in line with what you're talking about and and it's just I I and I love that because we you know everything we do, all behavior is to meet a need. And so we you know, and it doesn't have to be so complicated like you're saying that we have to like go back and you know, psychoanalyze from the time we were born <laughs> to figure it out. And I and that certainly has its place. Um, but, you know, when we're talking about the types of things that you're talking about, it, it is important to understand that we do need to um, to not only eliminate something but replace it with something else. I think that's such an important and, point. And it, it has, it really has a corollary in, see, when you change the behavior and you attend to those needs, you really are developing your character, so they're, and when there is a psychological change that being, that's being affected, you're, you're saying, I, I deserve what I genuinely need. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, done har- I'm done harming myself with food. Mm. I'm going to seek what I, what yeah. I genuinely need. Yeah. Oh, by, yeah. By the I way, like yeah. By, by the way, no, I forgot what I was going to say. I'm so sorry. Oh, <laughs> that, that happens. My <laughs> listeners are used to that happening on this show with me. <laughs> So if it's important, it'll come back to you. <laughs> Did you ever hear Steve Martin said that when people say if it's important, it's going to come back to you? He said you should tell them, oh, I know, I'm radioactive. I wanted to tell you I was radioactive. <laughs> <laughs> I love Steve Martin. <laughs> I'm, I'm not radioactive. I'm not okay. Radioactive. What, 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 I, what I wanted to say was that I don't mean to denigrate soul-searching psychoanalysis. But I, I actually still do some of that when people really want to. I find it very interesting. Mm-hmm. I just don't want to confuse it with the idea that it needs to be complete before you can make these behavioral changes and eliminate the pain from your life that's um, caused by harming yourself with, with food. Right. No, and I, I totally got that you were saying that. So, uh, and I, you know, cause, because everything does have its place and everyone does, um, you know, people are drawn to different things for various reasons. So certain types of interventions really, really resonate with some people and they don't with others. That's why there's so many people out there who have different types of um, strategies in therapy or in psychiatry or in all the disciplines that you talked about or just at your family dinner table. <laughs> so Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, but, but it's important to find what works for us. And that's something I always say is, you know, if, if you're if you're out there listening right now and this is really resonating with you, maybe you have tried some of these other things and they haven't worked. Well, would you like me to talk about more of the practicalities of um, how people can make a change to their eating in in this somewhat controversial way? Absolutely. So, what I what I like to tell people is in order for this to work, you need to create your own food plan. And you can start with someone else's, you know, some 
dietary philosophy that you really agree with or a book that you read or something like that. Mm-hmm. But, you, but you really need to articulate the rules with 100% clarity. And the reason you need to do that is because in the moment of impulse, your lower brain, who yes. as a shorthand I'm going to call our pigs, our inner pigs from now on, okay. our, our inner pigs will look for any hole in the in the fabric of your food plan and they'll, they'll rip it open into a you know full fledged into a full fledged food orgy if they can. Mm-hmm. And so the, I find that the clarity and specificity of the rule is exceptionally important. So, for example, um, if you were to say, I will never have chocolate on weekends again, if, or I'll never have chocolate on weekdays again, it's more likely that someone would say. Mm-hmm. Then if 10 people followed you around and took notes about when you ate chocolate, they would all agree at the end of the week whether you followed that rule or not. They would 100% right. agree because it's but if you were to say, I'm going to avoid chocolate most of the time, um, they wouldn't agree at the end of the week because it's not really clear what most of the time means. Mm-hmm. And, you know, does it count when you're sleeping? Does it count when you're, when you're in school? What, what does most of the time really mean? So, mm-hmm. so I tell people to practice this. You want to think about your single most difficult food craving or behavior and ask yourself, what rule you might want to adopt. And you, there are um, really four categories of rules. There are, there are things that you'll never do again. There are things that you'll conditionally do again. There are things that you will always do every day, like I'll always have you know, six servings of fruit and vegetables or something like that. And then there are things that you will do without restriction um, forever. Mm-hmm. And I normally people will come to me with a really difficult food craving and they're ambivalent about whether they should eliminate it or kind of put some kind of conditional rule on it. And so I'll talk them through different options that we might consider using. And then what we like to do is to speculate about what our future might be a year from now if we were to follow each path. Mm-hmm. So maybe one path, just for the sake of simplicity, and I'm, I'm not telling anybody, by the way, not to have chocolate. I think chocolate can be a wonderful thing for many people. <laughs> oh, phew. <laughs> <laughs> right? Right. right. Yeah, I, I, I don't have any specific nutritional advice here, by the way. Um, the, the so what maybe one path is that I'll never have chocolate again, and another path is I will only have chocolate on weekends again, and the person is trying to decide which one. Mm-hmm. So I might ask them, well, let's let's not decide for the moment, but for argument's sake, suppose that you did never have chocolate for the next year. What do you think your life would look like? And they pause for a little bit and they start to think, and they say, well, I probably be 20 or 30 pounds thinner and my doctor wouldn't be bothering me so much about my diabetes risk and I would be calmer I'd be sleeping better and so maybe I would be more successful at work and maybe I'd be getting along a little better with my husband because I'd have more energy and um, you know I'd have more I would have um, more nerve to confront him about some things that I didn't feel comfortable being assertive about before and so you, they really paint out this future and this becomes part of their big why later on. Mm-hmm. And then we compare and contrast that to what would happen if they followed the other one. What if they conditionally ate the chocolate on weekends but not during the week? And sometimes the person will see the same future. And in that case, it's pretty clear that you want to take the conditional route because 
you don't want to restrict your freedom more than you need to. I think, you know, people, food is meant to be enjoyed and, um, you know, overly restricting things is really a setup to feel deprived and, um, right. you know, and, and have more difficulty later on. But um, very often people will see a dramatically different future that has much more pain in it and then it becomes clear which direction they want to go. Mm-hmm. And with that very practical, you know, scenario, they can decide what rule they'd like to adopt. Mm-hmm. And then I tell them, okay, so that, that's your line in the sand. Um, maybe if I will never have chocolate again between now and the day that I die. And I'm sure there are a lot of people cringing out there when they hear that. <laughs> <and it's almost laughs> but, 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 um, let me just, let me just pose this analogy. When people say that it's not possible to make that kind of commitment, suppose you were getting married and your husband said, you know, I just want to be honest. I, I'm 90% sure that I can be faithful to you forever, but there sure are a lot of attractive people out there. Uh-huh. And, you know, I, you never know what's going to happen in five years or ten years, and you want me to be honest, don't you? A relationship is based on honesty, so I, I can make a 90% commitment to never sleep with anybody else. That, that's not a wedding vow. That, that's, not a, that, that's, that's not something that most women would accept from a, from a man, nor, nor should they. Mm-hmm. And so my my question to everybody else then is, why do we accept that kind of a vow about food? Why do we say it's impossible to make a wedding vow about food? Why can't you get married to a certain philosophy um, about a food that you've decided is no longer appropriate in your life? Mm-hmm. Um, now, if, if you do happen to make a mistake, I don't recommend that you spend a lot of time torturing yourself about it. I right. recommend you study it to see what you can learn from it and you know, mm-hmm. just resume after that. But when someone's setting out to climb a mountain, the best thing to do is to visualize yourself on top and purge all doubt from your mind so that you can concentrate on the goal and not get distracted by, um, oh, my God, maybe I'm going to fail and, you know, it's not really possible to do this. People people who live in fear like that, they really don't accomplish the goals that they need to accomplish. And um, Right. I'll pause because it sounds like you want to say something. Oh, yeah, well, thank you. Thank you for taking that cue. I I always have something to say, by the way. But anyway, um, I just, I loved what you said there because I think, you know, that failure can be part of the process. And I think most times people don't realize that. And um, they they might look at the, the first time that they mess up as a declaration that I can't do this. Um, and so I, I think it's important to, to understand that slip-ups happen, and it's, you know, it's how you deal with that that kind of dictates what's next and, and how you might be successful in the future. It's, it's the story that you tell yourself about it. Mm-hmm. If you say, uh, oh, my God, I had a chocolate bar. I can't do this. It's not possible. I'm powerless over chocolate, and... Um, I'm doomed to eat chocolate for the rest of my life, to overeat chocolate for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. That That's really your inner pig talking. But if you say, I'm becoming a person who never eats chocolate, that's a totally different perspective that right. moves you forward and asks you what you can learn. Yes. Well, absolutely. And, you know, this has just been such a fascinating conversation. I, I feel like we were just about out of time, but I feel like we could continue this on for quite a long time and, and continue to touch on all these 
wonderful things that you have discovered and implemented for yourself and your clients. So I, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing all these wonderful tidbits with us. Sure. I, I hope I didn't over-talk you. I had a lot to say. No, no, not at all. No, I, and, you know, and my listeners know, some. This is we try and keep to 30 minutes, but, you know, stuff happens. <laughs> Sure. So, sure. Um, I, I, I very difficult for me to keep within time constraints when we're having a really great conversation. So, but before we sign off, I definitely want to make sure that you have an opportunity to share with my listeners um, how they can reach you and, and get more information about um, the research and the work that you're doing. Okay. So, essentially, I've got a lot of free materials on my website, which will illustrate the process which um, you can download the book for free from Amazon in, in the United States. It's free in the United States. Um, and the, the website is neverbingeagain.com and what you want to do is sign up for the free reader bonuses. That'll take you to the latest version of the book that will also send you to some recorded examples of how I coach people specifically through this process, and it will give you some food plan starter templates and very specific examples of how to how to go about this. So that's neverbingeagain.com, and just sign up for the free stuff, and it'll all go from there. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Do you, do you have any last-minute tips for everybody on, on how they can get out of their own damn way with respect to food? The quote that I like people to walk away with is that, all you need to do to never binge again is never binge again. You don't have to sit by the river and meditate your navel for months until you reach nirvana, and you don't you don't have to slap yourself on the head with a spatula. You, you just need to never binge again, and that's a matter of coming up with a very clear set of rules, understanding there are these two entities inside of you, and learning to recognize and ignore the um, the Inner, the inner animal pig that tells you to break your own rules. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Glenn, for being a part of the, the podcast. Thank you for having me. Yes, and thank you all for listening to the Get Out of Your Own Damn Way podcast. Be sure to stay tuned for more interviews of powerful people who have learned to get out of their own damn way. Thanks so much for listening. Are you a master at getting in your own damn way in life or in business? Let Creelan Peters, host of the Get Out of Your Own Damn Way podcast, show you how to tame your fear and embrace your greatness. Take her free quiz at creelan.com slash quiz. That's K-R-Y-L-Y-N dot com slash quiz. You've been listening to the Get Out of Your Own Damn Way podcast with Creelan Peters, the Fear Whisperer. Join us next time for more inspirational stories and leave a review on iTunes. You can also find us at creelan.com slash podcast. That's K-R-Y-L-Y-N dot com slash podcast. Thanks for tuning in.